Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. I grew up in a home full of antique furniture. My parents loved antiques, and they passed that love on to me. As I was growing up, I spent a lot of time in antique shops and at auctions. My mom even went into the business for a while. Well, just recently, my mother moved from the house that I grew up in, and I helped with the packing, and I discovered that, that some of those antique pieces that have been around my entire life were in need of minor repair, nothing major. Just discovered in the process that some of the old glue that was used has lost its, its stick. Some of the old nails and screws have, have gotten loose. Some of the old lamps need new wire. And so over the last few days and weeks, I've been clamping and gluing and and screwing things back together. The point is that even well-made, fine-crafted, even valuable antiques over time break down. They need repair. Physicists call that the law of entropy that all things are prone to decay and deterioration. There's also a phrase in the Zen Buddhist tradition. It's a Japanese phrase. I can't begin to pronounce it, but it's simply this. Everything that has a shape breaks. That's true, isn't it? Everything that has a shape breaks. Everything From antique furniture, to cars, to technology, to hearts, to minds, to the human body, everything that has a shape breaks. Some breaks are are minor. They just take a little needle and thread, a little glue, an extra nail. But some breaks are harder, much harder to repair. Speaking spiritually, Brennan Manning writes, to be alive is to be broken. And to be broken is to stand in need of grace. To be broken is to stand in need of grace. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And that is the word for it, sin. Sin is at the root cause of much of the brokenness in this world. Sin is all of the ways that we fall short of being the men and women that God created us to be. Sin is missing the mark on the target. Sometimes sin is disobeying God. Sometimes sin is disregarding that inner sense of right and wrong. Sin is the harm we do to others. It's the harm we do to creation. It's the harm we do to ourselves. Sin is the harm that's been done to us. Some sin is is 
blatantly, willfully destructive. And some is just neglectful. Some sin is consciously intentional. And some is just absent-minded. But always, always sin is selfish. It ultimately is about me. Not about you, not about what you need, not about God, certainly not about what's right. It's about what I think is right for me in the moment. Sin is always a turning away from God. I mean, really, it's about relationship. Sin is about broken relationship. It's disregarding who God is in my life. It's disregarding who you are in my life. And thus the meaning of a night like this, and thus the meaning of the cross that we remember Jesus died on this day. It's the reminder that God desires so much more for us and from us than sin and brokenness. Sin isn't just brokenness. Some traditions think of sin as a disease, a spiritual disease that infects our relationships with God, others, and ourselves. God, God made us more for more than that. And so as the story goes, when our collective sin and brokenness became more than anything we could do to overcome by our effort or by our willpower or by our obedience to the religious laws, God took the initiative. God came to us. God came for us to do what we couldn't do for ourselves, to close the relational gap between us and God in the person of Jesus, to explain and to demonstrate what the love of God is and to reveal to each of us the power and the potential within us for holiness and for godliness. Jesus was God in flesh, the fullness of God in bodily form, Revealing for us God's full intent for humanity. Showing us how to live faithfully. Revealing to us the heart of God. A life lived in complete and total and utter obedience. Not because he had to, but because it's good and right to be obedient to God. A life of complete and unrelenting faithfulness. A faithfulness that led him into constant conflict with the religious leaders. A faithfulness that eventually led him to death on a cross. Let, let me be clear here. Jesus was no victim. Jesus' life was not taken from him. Jesus was faithful even to the end. Each of the four Gospels, as you've heard read tonight, tell the story of Jesus' demise, each with a little bit of nuance. They teach us that because of Jesus' growing spiritual authority and his growing influence among the masses, he became too great a threat to the institutions of the government 
and religion. And so they conspired against him. They plotted behind closed doors. They schemed to discredit him. Dirty deals were struck. Money was exchanged. Plans were made to betray Jesus. Once he was in custody, they made false allegations. They accused him of things he never did or said. They told lies about him. And all the while, he stood there in confident silence, not responding, knowing there was no truth in the accusations. Later, the crowds, the fickle crowds, the crowds that we, we say shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday were manipulated. Public opinion was changed. The same crowds that shouted Hosanna soon were shouting, crucify him. And Pontius Pilate, who very well knew that Jesus was innocent, gave in to the pressure He ordered that Jesus be beaten nearly to death, and then he had him crucified as an enemy of Rome. Nails were driven through his hands and his feet, a crown of sharp thrones forced upon his head, and for six hours he hung on a cross, bleeding, struggling to breathe, just barely holding on to life. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, he breathed his last. Those are the, the basic facts of the death of Jesus of Nazareth. To anyone who was there, it would appear that, that it was over. The, the Jewish leaders, that the, the Romans, they had won. A tragic end to uh, what could have been a, a meaningful life. But you and I know there was more to it than that. There was more going on at the cross than meets the eye. While he may have appeared to have been defeated, there was a greater work occurring. Somehow, some way beyond my ability to comprehend, Jesus on the cross was bearing the collective sin and brokenness of the entire world. Somehow, some way, at the cross of Jesus, every broken thing, every wound, every means of suffering, all of our collective failures, all of the world's guilt and shame, all of the death and destruction were loaded onto the cross and somehow carried to the tomb. Somehow, some way, by his death and his resurrection, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. Somehow, some way, Jesus at the cross transformed all that's broken. Colossians 2.13 says, He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 24 says, He committed no sin, nor did he even speak in ways meant to deceive. When he was insulted, he did not reply with insults. When he suffered, he did not threaten revenge. 
Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He carried in his own body on the cross the sins we committed. He did this so that we might live in righteousness, having nothing to do with sin. By his wounds, you were healed. Our theme for the season of Lent has been restoration, restoration. We've been gathering together junk, stuff that's been thrown out, left on the curb, useless, no good anymore. And and you may have seen we've used it to build crosses, to symbolize that at the cross, Jesus gathered up all the broken bits and pieces heals and restores and rebuilds and promises that we can be a new creation. But here's the rub. Here's the point where the limits of our faith are tested. Here's where the proverbial theological rubber hits the road. Do we really believe it? Do we really Believe it. Is the cross of Jesus anything more than just a tragedy for a good man? Do we really believe that somehow at the cross, sin and death were ultimately defeated? Do we really believe that somehow, some way, there is power? in the cross, and the empty tomb? Do we really believe God's promises of forgiveness, redemption, and restoration? Do we really believe that God through the cross is still in the business of making a broken world whole? Do we? Do you? I'll confess that I don't always. I'll confess that sometimes I question. Sometimes I doubt. Sometimes I'm not sure. When I look around the world, I see so much unredeemed hurt and brokenness. All that's currently happening in Ukraine the dangers to our planet because of global warming, another mass shooting this week in a New York subway, desperate immigrants gathering at our borders just looking for a new beginning, rising cases of depression, rising numbers of suicide, a growing division between those who have and those who don't deepening political divisions, the rise of extremism around the globe. And some days I doubt just because my own body doesn't work the way I need it to. Do we really believe in the power of the cross? Dare we believe? Dare we trust? Dare we hope? Dare we claim that the power of the cross is still relevant in the face of today's brokenness? Dare we believe that something actually happened that day on Calvary that still is at work? 
There we believe in God's promises to forgive and to restore. Friends, I say we must. Even when it's hard to believe, even when our faith is shaken, even when we're shaken to the core, I believe we must. Where else will we turn for hope? Politicians? Governments? Science, Wall Street, the academy, technology, social media, the press? I don't think so. The theologian N.T. Wright once wrote, perhaps we can see ourselves standing at the foot of the cross to see what fresh word may come to us concerning the way forward. I don't know what that will mean in practice. But I do know that if we can't find the answer in the cross, we won't find it anywhere else. Good Friday is the point at which God comes into our chaos to be there with us in the middle of it and to bring us his new creation. Let us pause and give thanks and listen for his words of love and healing. Friends, what's broken in your life? What's broken in you, in your family, in your workplace, in your home? What's broken? As you look around our world, what's the brokenness that weighs most heavily on your heart? And dare we believe that God is still in the work of restoration? There we must. If we don't, why on earth are we here? We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.